This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Trans monthly congressional briefing series. This briefing is part of a videotape multimedia presentation that will be available tomorrow at www.rand.org and is part of RAND's Congressional Briefing Series podcast on iTunes. My name is Aileen Heinberg, and I'm a psychologist at RAND and affiliated with the Financial Literacy Center. With the support of the Social Security Administration, the Financial Literacy Center was established in the fall of 2009 by the RAND Corporation, Dartmouth College, and Wharton to develop and test innovative programs to improve the financial literacy and economic security of Americans. The center developed educational materials to help people, especially the most vulnerable, understand how and why to manage their money and save for retirement. The Financial Literacy Center is proud to provide funding to Doorways to Dreams, also known as D2D, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing financial services to the working poor. This briefing will be given by Nick Maynard and Timothy Flack. Nick is the Director of Innovation at D2D and Tim is the Executive Director of D2D. And now I'd like to turn things over to Nick Maynard and Timothy Flack. Thanks, Eileen. Um, so first of all, thank you to all of you who've come to, uh, to listen to this today and thanks to the RAND Corporation for inviting us to speak. Um, the topic we're going to talk about is, is generally financial education. And as a way of getting started, why don't we go to the first slide. Um, what we want to discuss here is uh, what can be done to address the needs uh, to improve financial literacy in this country and increase uh, how uh, financially educated the American people are. But to get us started, let's talk about how big the problem is. Uh, this is a data point that we find particularly compelling. Uh, our colleague Peter Tufano of the Harvard Business School and some of his colleagues did research asking the question, how confident are you that you could come up with $2,000 in 30 days if you needed to? And this is any way you need to, by, by taking it on from savings, by borrowing it, uh, whatever you can think of. And as you can see from the results, uh, in this country, less than half of the population, and this is regardless of income, uh, reported that they were either very confident or confident they could come up with $2,000. If you think about it, $2,000 is the cost of a, um, a modest home repair. It's uh, a transmission that needs to be replaced in your car or other car repair. It's a relative that needs to be uh, bailed out of jail, this type of thing. Uh, we found this to be a, a sobering reality check on how financially prepared the country is. To think that we live in a country where half the population is that close to financial disaster really seemed like a good way to remind us all of how widespread the need is for greater financial awareness and greater financial skills in this country. So when we think about solutions to that need, uh, there are two big ones that come to mind. One is regulation, and we've seen examples of that recently with the new Financial Protection Agency. Uh, but there are limits to what regulation can do for us, and there are drawbacks in terms of curtailing innovation. Uh, but the second classic strategy to address financial uh, need for greater financial education is, is just that, through education. Um, and so we're going to talk about how we might do that. And when we think about the challenges of financial education traditionally, most of us tend to focus first on the supply side, which is to say, how can we get whatever financial education and literacy tools are available out to larger numbers of people? 
cutting costs, increasing the reach. But what we want to submit today is that it's actually, it's not just about the supply. It's also about the demand side, which is to say that many times you find uh, well-intentioned financial curricula that are not being widely adopted, not being widely used. People just frankly don't want to come and sit in a classroom to learn about personal finance topics. They may not even think that they need it. Um, and let's face it, most of us can think of lots of things we would rather do than sit down and, and potentially focus on our shortcomings in terms of our personal financial management skills. So the demand piece we think is really critical. And the second, or I should say the, really the third piece, um, is the impact side. With all of the energy that is going into efforts to raise people's financial uh, skills and knowledge and decision making, there's actually not that much evidence that it's really working. And where there is evidence, we're not sure how long it lasts and if it's really tying to behavior changes. So what we want to submit today is a, a new way of thinking about the financial education problem that focuses as much on this issue of consumer demand and impact as it does on supply. So the best way to talk about financial entertainment is to see it. So that is a game teaser, and it's from our second uh, title called Groove Nation. And as you could probably tell pretty clearly, that's about budgeting, right? <laughs> so what are we saying when we were talking about financial entertainment? We're talking about, for uh, low to moderate income Americans, we're talking about engaging new media. So we're talking about things like that clip that you just saw. We're talking about teaching consumers how to better manage their money. So while that looked like a heck of a lot of fun, it actually does have impact in teaching, which we'll get to. And then we're also basically trying to de-stress the experience. We know from other work that we do that the ap approaching the whole um, question of what do I do with my finances, especially for low to moderate income households, is very stressful. So we're putting a lot of, um, you could say, chocolate on the broccoli uh, to try to make it go down a little bit better. And so D2D is working in a number of areas. First, we're working on products, so these games uh, that we'll talk about. We're also working on distribution, which we'll get into more detail, but we're partnering up with um, certain organizations and channels to try to reach millions of consumers and find the most effective way to do that. We're also um, very focused on evaluation and impact. So we build that into our game development process, which we'll talk about, but also we're very interested in taking that to the next level and doing larger uh, scale re uh, randomized treatment and controls. And then finally, we're continuing to innovate. So we're expanding into new um, language platforms with the support of the FLC in the upcoming year, so reaching Latino audiences. Um, we're also going to be reaching out to new platform using mobile because of the growth of the iPlatform and Droid phones, just trying to expand the reach of these games. So you're probably scratching your head saying, video games, can those really teach? Well, it turns out that there's a whole uh, cadre of academics who work in this space whether it be at MIT or the University of Wisconsin or USC. And they're working on uh, video games as it relates to pedagogy across many fields, whether, whether it's teaching kids algebra or teaching adults how to lose weight. I mean, it just depends on the topic. 
But they've come up with some core learnings through that work uh, in their field. One is that games help um, you learn to learn. So by going through different levels in a video game, making achievements and so forth, you start building skills. You may not know you're building skills, but you're actually building skills as you move from one level to another. The second is practice. So because games are basically mini simulators, you're actually practicing um, things. And you can also give players the opportunity to practice things in the real world, like overdraft their bank account, so that they can learn from that experience and then not do it in the real world. Also motivation. Games have an intrinsic motivation component to it because you say, hey, come play a video game. It's a different frame of reference than, hey, come listen to a PowerPoint about um, financial education. And then finally, transferable skills. So the skills that they're building in the game by making real world choices. So in the Groove Nation clip, you saw working on a budget. People in those games, those players are making real world choices that are transferable to their real world um, set of choices they face around budgeting. So if that's part of the rationale for why we think games has real, or have real potential to teach, um, let's get more specific and talk about why we've chosen casual video games, which are a, a sub-segment of the video game universe. And the basic answer here is that they turn out to be wildly popular. Nearly three-quarters of Americans play some form of video game, and many of those are playing these casual games. We've put up some screenshots here because many of you may actually be players of the top one is Bejeweled, the bottom one is Farmville, I think as the slide here notes, there are 69 million people who are playing this game Farmville. Uh, these games are accessible, like physically accessible. You can play them on mobile devices, but they also don't require a lot of learning or investment of time up front. And they attract a different kind of player. This is not a 22-year-old male in a basement somewhere with a half-eaten bag of Doritos. The average social gamer is a 43-year-old woman, much more in line with who we think we need to reach if we're going to lift the financial savvy of the, of the um, financial decision-making population. So let's talk about what are the characteristics of what we call financial entertainment. Well, the first one is that whereas most financial education efforts are, are very sincere, very earnest, they tend not to be inherently engaging. So back to Nick's uh, metaphor of putting chocolate on the broccoli, we want to lead with something that not only has chocolate, but really reaches out and grabs you, brings you into the experience. The second one is that as part of that, we're going to scale back our expectations and not try to take people in at one side and equip them with every personal finance lesson that they need and then have them come out the other side as this perfect mythical consumer ready to manage their finances. In our experience, that's just not the way most adults lead their lives. They have a need, they want to fill it, they want to understand a skill or make a decision, but they aren't necessarily invested in spending hours and hours just lifting their general knowledge level for, for um, some abstract reason. The third one is, as we've talked about, it's really important that information be not delivered in a static fashion. So when people are passively, especially adults, who don't really do this after they leave formal schooling, they don't want to be on the receiving end of passive information. They want to be interacting and part of it. And the last one is, it is important that whatever we have out there has, is widely accessible to large numbers of people. So whereas it may not be practical to have classroom settings for large numbers of Americans, we think using technology we can get to a much broader audience. So when we talk about having, for example, more targeted efforts rather than comprehensive efforts, not trying to do everything in every effort, not trying to teach every skill, the way that that becomes a cohesive whole is through a library of different titles. And so that's what we've been working on, to create a whole library of different financial education video games, each of them picking a particular topic that's important, and in total, they uh, achieve what we need to.
So we're going to talk a little bit now about how we develop these games um, as it relates to, um, in particular, we'll take a deep dive on Farm Blitz, one of the two titles funded through the FLC. So th this um, chart really does show the, the basic game development process. So if you're making Guitar Hero or some other big name game, this is the process you go through as a game developer. What we've done is we've layered assessment and evaluation into that game development process so that we can drive results for the population we seek to serve. And so even at what most game developers would think is too early, at a point like first playable, we're trying to answer some important questions about fun, about engagement, and about learning. And then those results, those focus group user testing results with low to moderate income females, especially 18 to 35 years old, who play the game and play it over and over and over again for us, those get built into and, and integrated into the next version of the game. So it continues to iterate forward. And so this new product development process, which you see a picture there from one of the sessions, really is about assessment. So we're trying to look for fun. Remember, we're trying to make sure this is enjoyable. For Celebrity Calamity, our first title, the scores for fun started at three and went to five by the end. So we want to make sure that the fun is in these um, games so that folks will play them. But then also we want to match learning needs. A lot of what we've heard from the audience sometimes is that a lot, some financial education is a, you know, kind of talks down to me and so forth or isn't matching with my needs. So the characters in the game, the structure of the tools, the simulation is really to match the um, audience's needs and what they're looking for in the product. And then finally, as we said, assessment. So qualitative on the front end, so very qualitative here, but then we drive as quickly as possible to quantitative so that we can see are we impacting confidence and knowledge and, and really having results. So we have two titles available on our portal, financialentertainment.org. The first title, Celebrity Calamity, is about managing your credit cards and debt. You actually take on the role of a, uh, managing a celebrity's finances, and then the celebrity does all the crazy spending. So you don't have to actually um, be on your best behavior. The celebrity's taking care of it. Groove Nation is the first ever dance budgeting game, so taking off of the cultural markers out there about these shows, about becoming a reality TV star, a singer, or a dancer, but we've matched that up with the exciting topic of budgeting to try to demystify it, make it much more interesting, and really drive people to want to engage with budgeting. And then we have two games to, re to be released in November. These are the ones uh, funded through the FLC. One is uh, Bike Club. It's the first ever vampire retirement savings game. It seems like every time you turn somewhere, there's something about vampires. Um, and so we wanted to capture that. And vampires live forever, so we can compound their interest very quickly in a very short game. And then finally, Farm Blitz, which we'll talk to. Now, I should put a, a bit of a plug in. Uh, on November 18th and 19th, the FLRC will be having a conference at the Ronald Reagan uh, Conference Center. And that's where these games will be um, debuted. And so information about that conference is in your packets. Um, and it's free to attend. So now to a trailer for Farm Blitz.
So once again, it, it framed around uh, um, something that's very, very popular, which is this notion of um, Farmville and all the farming games out in the casual space. But I'm going to take you through a little bit of a deep dive on this game so you have an idea of how it works, how it's been developed. And so we've taken what's called a match three mechanic, which is basically the game Bejeweled. A copy of that game is sold uh, somewhere every 4.3 seconds in the world. Very common casual video game mechanic. You line up vegetables, cauliflower, tomatoes, and so forth. That's your income part of the simulation. And so players are having fun in this instance and so forth, but while that's happening, their rabbits grow, rabbits represent debt, and they're compounding at high APRs, like high, high interest debt does, um, and so they can get out of the pen and destroy the crops. Now what players have the opportunity to do in this game is manage debt and savings in conjunction. And so for example, a player can pay off that debt by basically buying out the rabbits and sending them to um, someone to live. And that's mimicking what they would do in the real world. So they're building confidence around paying off debt. And in some cases, you'll see savings is here at the same time. And so they can actually dip into savings, which is represented by trees, chop down those trees, and pay off the high interest debt. So if they've, if they've added savings over the course of the game, they have the ability to use that for debt. And that's the other component is we're teaching about investing in savings over time. So we actually have randomized financial emergencies represented by tornadoes and monsoons, and the players quickly learn that the only way to survive those financial emergencies is trees. Trees can withstand those weather storms and so forth. So we're building a habit, a confidence around um, savings. So as we talked about, there's three core learning objectives. We're trying to teach about high interest, short-term debt, and the downside consequences represented by those rabbits. That debt can get away from you, it can compound way too quickly, and suddenly you have too much in your overall portfolio. As well as the importance of long-term low interest savings. Savings can be boring, it can seem like it's gonna take forever, but by turning it into a purchase of a tree, which kinda looks like a certificate of deposit, maybe a US savings bond, we're allowing players to buy savings and then use that in a functional way. And then finally, and most interestingly, we're uh, moving the needle on um, interest compounding, which is a core, core concept in all of the financial education space. So because we have negative compounding and positive compounding, players are faced with that during the entire 30 to 60 minutes they're playing this game. So now let's talk a little bit about how we get this out there. Um, before we do that, though, I just want to say, you know, there again, if we were to ask all of you who wanted to show up and spend some time talking about how quickly debt accumulates, or how hard it is to build savings, you know, I won't make you all raise your hands, but my guess is most of us wouldn't you know, beat down the doors to go do that. But the point of this whole motif is that that's not even what's, um, that's not what we publicize. And this is a good segue into our distribution work. People simply see the opportunity to go do something that sounds like some fun, that sounds pretty familiar to things they're already doing. And you know, a lot of us are looking for distractions at those moments when we're avoiding doing something or we have a few minutes at the bus stop or whatever it might be. So as I say, let's, let's talk about distribution. Um, our strategy has been to look for channel partners that can reach lots of people, people in need, people in our low to moderate income uh, target audience, and partners who have some vested interest in improving the financial sophistication of their stakeholders. So you can see them listed here. We've, we've worked with financial institutions, we've worked with employers, schools and universities, primarily community colleges, uh, government at the state and local level, nonprofit organizations, and the military. And if you stop to think about it, each of those channels has a reason to be invested in their employees or their clients or their service members or their customers having stronger financial management skills. So what do I mean when we've worked with them? Well, we have been in a, a process, which is still ongoing, of testing different ways to reach 
large portions of our audience. And our mechanism for doing that has been a website we've built. We call it the Financial Entertainment Portal, and you can see a screenshot. This is a white label website that when we work with a partner, we can add their particular logo. In this case, it's a tournament we ran in conjunction with the Massachusetts State Treasurer's Office and their that Office of Financial Education within that office. Um, and then it can be easily promoted to the stakeholders that that partner has. Our goal is to figure out which different approaches work in terms of marketing, in terms of channel partner. And we're pleased to say that we're now about six months into having this portal up. It's been growing in sophistication while it's been up. The first um, few months it only had one game title on it. Now since June it's had two and very shortly it'll have four. But in that period we've seen about 70,000 people play the games or game and about 10% of them have actually registered on the site, which is not required. So that's something they, they were engaged enough to want to do. And something we're especially proud of is that the average time on the gameplay page within the site is about 20 minutes, which on the internet is an eternity, right? That's a really long time to capture somebody's attention. And to our, you know, our purpose in terms of trying to raise people's knowledge and sophistication and self-confidence, really important that we have their eyeballs and their minds for that long. So one example, as I've alluded to, of our work is with the Massachusetts um, Treasurer's Office and their Office of Financial Education. Uh, we put together the, the, their particular version of the website, and then they thought about how they could get the word out about that to state employees, which they did through email and other means. And then in that particular case, we layered a tournament on top with the promise of prizes and a public announcement of the winners, and that tended to drive traffic. So you can see, I mean, this is somewhat common sense, what the benefits are for uh, partners who participate both for the partners, but equally important for their stakeholders, right? They're providing something that's fun and relevant and easy to do, fits a busy schedule, increases their customers or, or, or employees' uh, knowledge and self-confidence. So we wanted to address, we, we talked about how we built in assessment and evaluation, and we wanted to share with you our thinking around that and some of the preliminary results from the small sample work that we've um, done to date. But basically, as we said, we build assessment in, and so we're, we're looking very much to um, make sure that the outcome of the games, um, when they're finished, have an impact on the target audience. And we also want to try to match core uh, learning objectives to behavior change. We see the next generation of financial entertainment leading to action taking by prompting within the game when key achievements are reached, like paying down debt, for example, prompting folks to say, hey, do you want to um, pay down debt in, the f in your real life? But we, we look at um, the NEFI uh, evaluation toolkit, we adapt those tools for our audience, and we do pre and post testing. So play, folks play the game for about 30 to 60 minutes. They're given a pretest. What's your confidence around some of the financial skills taught in the game? What's your knowledge with some basic true or false questions? And then they're asked to do the same quiz at the end. And our long-term objective, as we talked about earlier, is a randomized treatment and control where you would have games versus uh, maybe nothing or maybe um, some other traditional forms of financial education to see the overall impact. And randomization would be the most effective way to get underneath some of these preliminary small sample results you see in a moment. So this is from FarmBlitz. Uh, once we complete a game, it does go through the development testing I talked about. We go through what's called preliminary effectiveness testing. We go to three different 
geographies around the country for each game, and we um, allow them to play. The partners we work with recruit low to moderate income females aged 18 to 35. And so basically we've asked them to rate their confidence. You'll note the confidence measures here. Um, and we look for things north of 10%. Those are sort of our yellow bands. And then 20% um, is a, even a more exciting uh, general trend. But once again, these are preliminary small sample, and we'd love to validate these further. What's even more interesting is the next slide. So these are the basic true or false questions asked to the audience before and after um, playing Farm Blitz. And you'll see some of the numbers move north of uh, 50 and 60%. That really gets to the low levels of financial literacy among the audiences that we're trying to reach and how effectively games, which are basically all the things we talked about earlier, you're seeing these concepts over and over and over again have an impact on financial knowledge. All right, so let's try to, to wrap, uh, wrap up and briefly review what we've learned today or just uh, discussed today, I should say. Um, as we talked about at the beginning, Americans face uh, tremendous financial challenges. We are, we are underprepared for emergencies. We are under-equipped to make an increasingly complex set of personal finance choices. Um, efforts to date around financial education, despite some, you know, some examples of success, have really not proven up to the challenge, particularly when we think about the scale of the challenge. Uh, our approach is financial entertainment, right? We're trying to mix the, something that's fun and engaging and likely to reach more people and is inherently scaling with something that's good for you and, and much needed. As part of the Financial Literacy Center, we've been uh, able to produce two new titles for our growing library of these casual financial video games. They are Farm Blitz, which you've seen a little bit about today, and Bike Club, which you can find online very shortly. Um, as Nick has shown you some, some numbers, we've already seen uh, very positive impact on knowledge and on people's self-confidence, which is so important to whether they make decisions the way we want them to. But we recognize there's greater opportunity to evaluate in a more rigorous and long-term way, and we're committed to doing that. Where do we go from here? Um, D2D's work for the next year will be focused in a number of areas. In particular, as part of the Financial Literacy Center, uh, we have um, plans and resources to more aggressively and deliberately reach non-English-speaking audiences, especially Spanish-speaking audiences. And we are hard at work on a fifth game title, which will focus on this unique moment to drive saving, which is the annual tax refund season, when literally tens of millions of Americans get um, billions and billions of dollars in federal tax refunds. So we want to bring awareness to that and show people what their options are to save part of it and give them tools to actually um, remember that they have chosen to do that. So something they can print out and take with them to their tax preparer. That's what we're hard at work uh, uh, on right now. And finally, the ongoing work of distribution testing. We are committed to get these uh, titles and these resources out to really lots and lots of people. So that's an ongoing priority for us. So I would just like to close by saying there's information about D2D. You can find us online at www.d2dfund.org. Um, we're grateful to have this opportunity to brief all of you, and this will conclude the portion of the podcast. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.